Welcome to Wake Forest University Department of Counseling Podcast. I'm Dr. Bob Nations with one of my esteemed favorite. faculty colleagues. Favorite. 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 Can I say favorite? <laughs> Dr. Shannon Ward. Uh, uh, Shannon, Bob, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. It's Good. always... We're always, it's always excited. I'm telling you, this is... Um, I could be tired. In fact, we were just talking about we're tired. But whenever I sit down to do these, uh, my energy goes up because there's opportunities for learning. These are fun people. Mm-hmm. Um, the, by the way, these are faculty friends. You know, we're yes, uh, our podcast really is about um, the Department of Counseling podcast. Wake Forest University is about knowing more about our faculty, uh, knowing more about our students. Um, and as well as we're going to do today is, is to get some of the faculty research out, um, scholarship out to a larger mm-hmm. audience. Yes. And um, so I am excited about this. We've got Dr. David Johnson with us in this episode. We call him Dave. And um, you call him Dr. Johnson, but we call him Dave. <laughs> <laughs> and Dave is doing some exciting research. He and uh, some fellow uh Researchers, scholars are doing some exciting research in the area of mindfulness and really not only the, you know, kind of I think my my traditional study of mindfulness in academia has been just the personal practice of it. But he's really applying that to um, the therapeutic alliance, mm-hmm. um, to being a better counselor. I like mm-hmm. how, you, Dave, you say super counselor. So, yeah. right, and, and I like the intentionality of, of so not so good, good, and super. And mm-hmm. I don't know that those are actually categories in your research, but I get the conceptualization of that. Yeah, and just and the practical aspect of supervision around this, how practical. that becomes part. Yes. That's the, I think that's yeah. the heart behind these episodes as well, and our, our series in general, is that students, alumni, community members, people interested in counseling, wherever you're listening, are hearing practicality. You know, not just, oh, yeah, who doesn't love people? You know, who doesn't want to help people? But real um, intentionality, practicality on how is it you're training counselors? How is it you're contributing to the field and changing the field? And, Dave, I'm I'm excited. I mean, I'm kind of a cheerleader of people anyway. Um, But I'm, you know, pretty smart about it. I'm listening. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking this guy is on to some good things here. Mm -hmm. Um, So this particular research, Dave, you're getting ready to tell us about, it not only pulls in the mindfulness um, piece that is so important, important, but the multicultural competence, multicultural competence. So a potential student, if you're doing your due diligence, your due research as you're approaching uh, the question of, am I going to train as a counselor and with which program, then you should be looking for who is going to um, teach me, who's going to stretch me multiculturally. Because I can't come in just being who I've always been and leave out being that same person. Not in a counseling program, not in a good one. You need to come in and really be stretched um, um, on many issues, but in particular and high amongst, among those is in culture and your appreciation of, your understanding of, your willingness to engage in conversations about culture, therefore making you, uh, thereby making you more multiculturally competent. Uh, on the way to. I don't like to say that we've ever arrived, but that we are on our way to multicultural competence all the time. So, Dave, without further ado, Bob, I'm yes. going to try to tone it down over here. I'm going to I'm going to tone my my excitement down. I'm going to go very quiet on this. Dave, I want to hear it. Talk to us about your research and, okay. and uh, bring us up speed. Yeah. So, um, a, a lot of what what I'm thinking about for this topic still ties into this nature of relationship. That's where it's at. That's that ability to form and maintain a strong therapeutic relationship consistently with many, many clients is what 
you know, differentiates those super counselors from the good counselors and from the ones who need to be better. And mm -hmm. just for the record, I'm going to go ahead and put myself in that like good and could be better group of <laughs> right. counselors. Um, do what? So I'm not. The good ones do. Yes. <laughs> There's right. a, that's, that's what is that? I just heard point. some uh, people talking about um, it's humility, essentially. But I think it's even cultural well, humility. I've heard some research around cultural that's humility. That's some great foreshadowing. Good. I think where this line of research is going to probably take us. Good. So um, one, one area of counseling that, you know, is just paramount in what we do is um, – really thinking about culture and how culture plays into the relationships we form, um, who we are as an individual, who our client is an individuals, and all those forces that just provide the context of connecting and healing, because um, it varies so much in different facets of how we think about culture. Um, it varies by different ways that we think about the identities and how people bring those to us. And, um, you know, part of the just standard counselor training is really get, getting an understanding of those things and how they apply into work with clients. Um, we talk a lot about having these multicultural competencies, which there's different ways of dividing them up in different labels, but generally um, kind of fall on this idea of knowledge about multicultural issues, awareness of those, and skills to work with individuals in a multiculturally competent manner. Um, so... We, we do see this idea of that, that sort of like the super counselors, the good counselors, and the um, not-so-good counselors fall out around um, clients of different ethnic backgrounds. That's the body of research I'm most familiar with. But conceptually, I could see how this would play out to other cultural groups as well, where essentially you've, you – we have research showing that some counselors are really good at forming those consistent relationships with clients from a majority ethnicity, like typically white individuals and people of color. Some counselors are really good at forming those relationships consistently with individuals of color, but not as consistent when it comes to white individuals. Plus the reverse, some really good and consistent in forming those relationships with individuals who are white, some at and at the same time, not as good forming those relationships with individuals of color. And then we, again, always have that group of counselors that just really isn't good at forming or maintaining relationships with anybody. Hmm. So I think, you know, in the last times that we've talked, I've talked about that idea of what's a good counselor and how do we um, make them better. And the That's what short students, answer was. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, there's this idea, well, good counselors have clients that get better. Mm -hmm. And we know it's these between counselor differences that may make a lot of this difference in terms of how consistent can they be in forming strong relationships. This also seems to be relevant for looking at different relationship dynamics related to cultural differences, related to ethnicity. Um, I have not seen data on this, but I would, I would go out to say that there would be other cultural identities that would also you would expect to see a similar pattern of some people are really good at it and some people may struggle more. I want to break in here. You know, Bob, student, potential students, um, I, I want to say too, I mean, it's not that we graduate students and then we never care about them thereafter. You know, we want to know that, that our alumni are doing well and thriving as professional counselors, be that in the clinical mental health world or school counseling world. Um, but wherever on the, on the continuum, 
If I'm listening to Dave right now and I'm thinking about this topic, I'm thinking I want to be somebody who's constantly, consistently, you say consistently improving. Mm -hmm. I want to be somebody who's consistently improving. And we know the research shows that the the relationship is the most important thing, the quality of that alliance, of that working alliance. But I want to, I'm liking hearing him say, how do I go from "Mm, not so good in this? And that boy, that takes a lot of humility and a lot of transparency right there. Gosh, I don't think I'm so good at this. And we get that as, um, as um, Dr. Jennifer Rogers was talking with us, Dave, in a previous episode uh, uh, about corrective feedback, mm-hmm. the ability to receive that, and therefore the, for us on our end, the, as supervisors, the ability to give it. Well, if I'm listening to Dave now, I'm thinking he keeps talking about growing, being a more consistent, consistently strong, consistent in relationship building, in building that therapeutic alliance. And so I'm hearing that, and I'm thinking, ooh, am I? I want to mm-hmm. be. And if as a student, I'm thinking, oh, I want to be where he's doing this research and I want to know more about this research because I don't want to be one of those just average counselors. In fact, listener, you know, I like to talk about market marketability and mm-hmm. um, thriving, you know, uh, mm-hmm. not only, you know, on a spiritual level or interpersonally and financially and all, but all in all of these in many ways that we thrive. So anyway, I've, this is my own little tangent here, but I'm thinking I want to know more about this because because he's teaching me. He's saying, hey, you need to be aware. You need to be aware of what you're aware of. Grow in that so that I can consistently improve. And and maybe, maybe I get to that super, super counselor level here and there. Maybe. Um, but that's, I want, I want to mm-hmm. talk about that. These are real topics. So student, you know, potential student, if you're wondering, what am I going to learn there? This, I'm going to learn how to recognize, to receive corrective feedback, to recognize where my blind spots are, where I can grow. And now back particularly with culture, how can I grow with culture? Dave, that's what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's what we are trying to look at and explore and just really try to understand, um, so, you know, people who have listened to the previous podcasts I've done know mm-hmm. that that interest in mindfulness and as applies to the relationship. So, um, you know, one of our colleagues, our department chair, Nathaniel Ivers, and I had done a study mm-hmm. um, a few years back looking at, you know, well, th- does mindfulness, is this associated with multicultural competencies? And more so, is this, does this account for anything with multicultural competencies above and beyond, um, the extent to which a student's empathic, or even if they've had a multicultural counseling class. And what we found is when we accounted for gender, we accounted for ethnicity, we accounted for whether or not the student had had a multicultural counseling class, we accounted for their empathy. Mindfulness, the extent to which the student was dispositionally mindful, they tended to be mindful in more situations than not, made a small but statistically significant contribution to multicultural awareness and multicultural knowledge. So the extent to which they could be aware of cultural dynamics and they had knowledge of cultural dynamics um, was accounted for by mindfulness. And this seemed promising in this first study. Um, Prior to us looking at this, I don't think anyone had um, looked at this data. There have been some people have talked about it and suggested it and kind of speculated about it. But um, this was um, one of the first studies to really try to measure this. And um, the findings were small but promising. And so uh, that, that study was published in 2016 in the Journal of Counseling Development. Um, 
And um, I, I think it was kind of an important study for both Dr. Ivers and I to start thinking about these topics and getting more deep into them. We just finished a series of studies uh, following up to this one um, where we tried to replicate these findings with um, a group of not just counseling students but also licensed practitioners in a variety of mental health professions, counselors, psychologists, social workers, at experience ranging from, you know, I got my license yesterday to I've been doing this for 40 years. So mm-hmm. really getting a big sample. Mm-hmm. Um, but we tried to look at multicultural competence, but we also want to look at, again, does mindfulness account for this once we account for all these other things that we know explain multicultural competence? Um, but we also wanted, again, look at, okay, well, mind, does engaging in mindfulness practices so yeah, that, that mental capacity is one thing, but the, the practice, is that related to multicultural competence? Because the practices we can teach, you know, it's how we foster those mental abilities of mindfulness. But we also wanted to look at some other way of conceptualizing and thinking about culture. Uh, a lot of the research on multiculturalism and multicultural counseling uses these self-report instruments, which can be great, but... You know, self-report always has its limitations. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we wanted to capture something related to culture in a manner that was not self-report. And what we looked at was um, the implicit association test. And I don't know if you're familiar with this, but this is a – it's a – computer-based test where they show you pictures of – individual faces of, indiv- of people from different eth- ethnicity groups, and they time you of how quickly you can match either positive or negative valenced words with those pictures. And basically, I'm giving a very small explanation of it. Mm-hmm. They look at sort of the microsecond differences in how long it takes you to associate a particular ethnicity with positive versus negative words. Okay. And the idea is behind the study, or behind this instrument, it's supposed to capture... Um, any kind of implicit bias that you have for or against one of the groups being represented in the test. There is a whole literature on flaws with this instrument, <laughs> but we decided we want to go ahead and use it because, frankly, it's, there's not much else out there unless you want to do self-report. And you know, part of having a research line is, is expanding your ways of examining these. So... Um, found some interesting things and um we we have kind of just we're just putting the final touches on on writing up these results but um feel pretty good about where the analyses are um we were able to um replicate the original study that we found that yeah there was a small association between mindfulness and multicultural competencies there was something interesting about them that we're going to come back to we did find that how often one of the counselors engaged in a mindfulness practice, how often they meditated or did yoga or something like that, was associated both with an increased multicultural competence. It was also associated with a decrease in implicit racial bias indicating white people as good. So... 
and it's a little convoluted. It's part of how mm-hmm. the, the scale comes out. But essentially, individuals who were reported that they were more frequently engaged in a meditation practice were less likely to, to report an association between individuals who are white or associated with good. So, in other words, they were the more frequently they were meditated, the less likely they were to associate these sort of qualitative labels with a specific ethnicity. Mm. Um, Nate and I had to kind of think through that, but it, kind of the way we're interpreting this is that that's what we would expect. If you were a good counselor who was culturally competent, you wouldn't necessarily evaluate, oh, because you are this ethnicity, therefore you are better than. Um, so those were some some interesting findings I think that we found and that would be consistent with this idea of mindfulness being um, associated with um, decreases, increased multicultural competence and I think decreases in implicit racial bias. There are several um, different kind of theoretical perspectives um, coming out of anthropology and also kind of existentialism that talk about um, how in times of stress, individuals are more likely to have negative evaluations towards individuals that they see as an other. Um, um, terror management theory is one of the um, areas of research that's focused on this a lot, to where they, they have a pretty good body of empirical research that suggested if you give someone a subtle reminder about either their mortality or something that threatens their particular worldview, they're more likely to act in an aggressive manner to someone who they view different than themselves. And this has been shown to see with individuals um, who, you know, acting towards an individual of a different race, acting towards an individual of a different nationality. Um, And he's been able to demonstrate this increased aggression in laboratory settings. The other thing they found is that people who are high in mindfulness in those sort of experimental conditions don't react negatively. So there seems to be something about mindfulness that is a buffer against reacting negatively towards someone based on seeing that person as other. They're another ethnicity. They're another nationality. They're another gender. Um, and so I think that's part of what might be explaining some of this research is this idea of being mindful. Part of what being mindful does, and we've talked about it before, is it helps you develop that awareness of your awareness. And it, what it creates for you is a little bit of a gap of time that can decouple immediate thoughts with more complex thoughts from opinions, from behaviors to where you can have individuals that might have a specific experience based on pa- on the past, that they've developed this ideology or an idea around a specific thing. And once something triggers it, they begin a process of thoughts coupled with actions, thoughts with beliefs that are kind of glommed together neurologically. This is a, it's just a single process. Mindfulness seems to be able to help people tease those apart. Mm-hmm. To where, okay, I'm aware that I feel uncomfortable. That doesn't mean this other person is making me uncomfortable. That can be a quick jump that someone can go to and not even notice it. To that person's making me uncomfortable, they should stop, I should do something to stop them, and then maybe says something insulting. Maybe Mm -hmm. does something. Um, 
Can I ask a question about this? Yeah. Uh, something I'm really curious about right yeah. now, too, if, if, if I may. Um, I'm, I'm hearing this from a multicultural perspective about how we're increasing our awareness and how mindfulness will help us do that. Is there's some correlation between the type of mindfulness practice and our approach or compassion toward the other? In, we haven't looked at that in the data yet, but okay. we're hoping yeah. to. Because I was thinking of developing compassion. You know, is there something that could help us increase our compassionate awareness of the person who's different, yeah. of a different culture, somebody that we might have some implicit bias in? Yeah. Would that be something that would help? I was just curious about that. Well, I, I know within terms of the mindfulness practices, um, we haven't looked at that in our okay. data yet. Okay. It's, it's on our list of things to examine. Yeah. Good. Um, outside Good. of the mindfulness yeah. practices, I, I, you know, one thing that we are pretty much ubiquitous in the counselor training are those immersion projects. Okay. My yes. guess would it be the extent to which you could be more mindful during your immersion project, the more you're probably going to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the extent to you are aware of your experiences without stopping them, without evaluating mm-hmm. them, without judging them, of just being aware that you're having them, of confusion, discomfort. Yes. Um wanting to retreat from an unfamiliar situation. Um, my guess that there's probably going to be a tie-in there somewhere that could be beneficial. I was thinking there might be. Yeah. 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 Spell. Mm-hmm. Okay. So thank you. definitely something we want to look into is are there specific practices that are more or less beneficial and for whom, for what situation? Mm-hmm. This is a big, complex topic. Oh, it is. It and is. so yeah. even, you know, a lot of our literature of like, you know, the between group differences for counselors mm-hmm. and the super and the good. We're pretty much that research has really just been looked at, you know, differences in client ethnicity. That's, you know, that, that's a sliver of thinking about yeah, the cultural other differences that, that come mm-hmm. in. So um, if, if I'm being a little tentative in the way mm-hmm. I'm presenting mm-hmm. it, yeah. it's purposeful. Oh, right. sure. Um, it's intentional, yes. And, but, we, we found something that I think was really interesting that I said we were going to come back to. When we um, replicated the original study of uh, just looking at is mindfulness associated with multicultural competencies, again, we found there was a moderate relationship once we controlled for all these other factors. But something interesting happened. We again found there was a relationship with knowledge, multicultural knowledge. We also found there was a relationship with multicultural awareness. However, what we found was some components of dispositional mindfulness were negatively associated with multicultural awareness. So what that would be saying is, for some of these components of mindfulness, the more mindful an individual was, the less multicultural awareness they reported. And I have to admit, I was excited about this because I always think good research is the research. It's not the research that says, <laughs> like, I knew that. Right. It's not yeah. the research that said, I knew that wouldn't happen. It's the research that you look at and you're like, that's really weird. Yeah. What's this? Things that make you go, <laughs> <Yeah>. hmm. <laughs> and, and then you, like, rerun it a couple of times and you scratch your head and you wonder, maybe I recoded my data wrong? And then you give it to a friend and you're like, I'm probably wrong, but would you look at this? I don't know what I'm doing. And and then they tell you you're right, and you give it to someone else and say, I'm probably wrong and probably so-and-so, but would you look at it? <laughs> so after doing a lot of that, um, we went to thinking about it. It was like, okay, let's go back and look at some of these instruments. And one of the things we see with some of the multicultural mm. counseling competency instruments is that they're pretty varied in how they conceptualize these constructs. Okay. 
The one that we used in the second study, we found that there was a large literature on it that talked about we're not really trying to capture so much that you are culturally competent with a client, but more so, what are the beliefs you have about culture in general that you bring to every relationship? Hmm. And we thought about that. It's like, okay, that's an important thing to think about. But what we're talking about here now is not to what extent am I with my client and I'm aware with my client right now that there are multiple cultural dimensions and factors influencing the quality of our relationship. It's more, I believe, culture influences relationship. And I believe that before I'm in a relationship and I believe that before I'm in any particular relationship. This is more of a lens through which seeing, you see the world as opposed to an evaluation of the relationship you're in. And if we revisit this idea of what mindfulness is, mindfulness is the present moment awareness with acceptance and non-judgment. Ideally, this is awareness that you're having before you filter any experiential understanding through a cognitive filter or a lens about the world. So, given that, it makes sense that with this type of instrument, we're going to find a negative association. So the more mindful you are, the, more, the less likely you are to, ex to filter your experience through a lens. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're beginning to see in this data pattern is these instruments are measuring cultural competencies somewhat differently. And I think the mindfulness is picking up more on being mindful in that relationship with the client. And I think what we're approaching here is more the idea of less about multicultural competencies. These are beliefs, skills, knowledge, interpersonally that I have, that I then bring to my experiences of the world before I have the experience. Mm -hmm. And I run my experience through that filter. Cultural humility is more about approaching the relationship with an appreciation and understanding for what it is before labeling it or identifying it as something. And so my thought is probably what we're going to, um, we're actually planning a follow-up study to this one as we speak, um, to be able to look at that difference with cultural humility. You know, there's been a lot of research um, around these two concepts of kind of seeing cultural multicultural competencies as more of this idea of these Interpersonal knowledge, skills, and awareness. I have these things inside me, and I use them and bring them to the relationship. Whereas cultural humility is more about how do I engage with another individual. Hmm. And that's where you feel yeah. like your research is focusing you more now. I think that's more yes. where we're going to go with yeah. the mindfulness piece. Because Got it. If, okay. we're, if we're talking about bare experience with mm -hmm. mindfulness, we're talking about how do you experience anything before any type of filter a lens on your belief of culture, whatever that belief is, it's still a belief you're bearing on the present moment situation. Okay. And so I think that's why this instrument, we find yep. this re reverse relationship compared mm -hmm. to the previous ones. Mm -hmm. So it's the, let me make sure I'm tracking. So it's knowledge and competencies. Like if I'm a student, I'm a potential student, and I'm thinking, well, I know it's a KCREP standard. It's a, it's a sign of an accredited program that they're steeped. They're committed to multicultural competence. But this is knowledge and competencies plus yeah. this cultural humility piece. This this is the plus piece 
but it yeah. seems to be emerging more and more clearly. It's certainly in, in with your specific research, the I mindfulness. Think, I think so. Okay. Yeah, we're, um, we're we're planning some studies to really try to measure this and see if that's what's mm-hmm. happening. But um, it, it again, this is tentative, but it seems like a plausible explanation for the results that we're seeing. And that will likely then, even though you kind of want the unexpected research outcomes, that because of the unexpected, and this is great research scientific process, it's sharpening your path to getting the actual knowledge you want. So you're you're obviously working through lots of literature, lots of your own data, Mm -hmm. and getting closer and closer, more sharp, sharper on what you're your outcomes, yeah, desired outcomes yeah, are absolutely, okay. and, I, and I think it really helps us to clarify these these concepts of how we think about culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and this is not novel. Many people have been writing about this for a while now about the idea of the multicultural competencies don't quite capture that interpersonal dynamic of yeah. what it is to be with a client. The cultural humility seems to capture, mm-hmm. and I just think that's more in line with what we think of being mindfully yeah. present with a client. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if I had to say the most recent aha moment from my line of research, that was probably it. Mm. I mean, like, okay, this is, this makes sense when mm-hmm. we kind of peel it back and really get down into really paying attention to what's, yeah. what's going on and how are we conceptualizing these things? So this, right. I'm thinking, um, you know, some some folks who are listening to this, you're natural researchers, or you're you're inclined toward research, and the field of counseling and counselor education needs you needs both. It needs to have that pairing of what Dave has is counseling skill and research skill, and investment and passion for both counseling and for research, and obviously particularly counseling research. And um, I think this is great. I think some folks are listening to this and thinking, ah, I like this process. I like the search. You know, the pursuit. I want to know more about people, and I want to do it in an organized, scientific way, and I want to be a counselor. Can you do mm-hmm. both? Yes, you can. Yes. yes. Dave is yes. demonstrating this, that you can do both. You can be yeah. a good and even super counselor. We definitely want you to be better than me, you know, <laughs> um, good to super. And you may even, certainly you should generally be equipped with um, um, research fluency to a degree. Uh, not everybody mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. comes into the Wake Forest University programs or, or generalist training for that matter. Not everybody. We don't want to scare people away. Not everybody's going to be interested in doing this research, but we all should be informed by this research and we should be um, mindful. <laughs> I'm going to use and probably misuse the word mindful here, but we need to be mindful about what it is we're studying and how it is we're equipping ourselves and how our program is equipping us for multicultural competence, for um, building, working alliances, relational, doing relational counseling, um, but doing it in a systematic, scientific way even. So I think I'm saying a couple things. Um, you don't have to be a researcher to be a counselor. But for those of you who are and are interested in, in training in a place like Wake Forest University with someone like Dr. David Johnson, that opportunity is here. Uh, you can certainly, Bob, you know, mm-hmm. they're going to be able to find more about us on our website. They can learn more about our clinical mental health counseling Absolutely. program, exactly. about our school counseling program. We've got master's degrees in both clinical mental health and school counseling. Mm-hmm. We are doing this bricks and mortar, and we're doing it online. You know, we've got mm-hmm. both campuses online and can and present here, bricks and mortar. Yes. And um, you're going to find David Johnson here, Dave Johnson here doing this work, Nathaniel Ivers, others, of course, doing their research in various areas. But our field needs this research. 
um, we need folks who can do both counseling and research, and there's room for that person here as well. Um, I want to say something to the future PhDs out there as well. This might be um, a moment where you're being affirmed in your calling and your leading. I want to do what he's doing. You know, I want to be somebody who is um, trying to be better. He he said of himself, Dave said, you said of yourself, I'm good. I can, I can confidently say I'm good and I'm growing. And um, that's not just cultural humility. That's people humility. <laughs> and uh, we like humility around here. We like folks who come ready to grow and stretch. And um, and so anyway, Dave, I'm going to give you the final word here. Uh, Bob, I'm thinking mm-hmm. we'll, we'll let him close out. But sure. I'm thinking, why not? Yeah. Why not come to Wake Forest University, Bob? Oh, I'm yeah. biased. I'll just call this, it. But this yeah. is we good love stuff. It. And it's, we love our students and just the, the potential for what they can become and yeah. how they grow. Opportunities. So is, opportunity is here. Dave, give us some, wrap us up here. Yeah. yeah. So so I, I, if, if you're okay with that, I think I want to keep on that theme of humility. Let's do it. And um, let's come to an end with, I think, in my mind, is a sort of like three-episode conversation that we've talked about mindfulness and relationships. I want to show some humility about this Mm -hmm. and about this topic. Um, I think mindfulness is a popular concept. Mm -hmm. You can find it everywhere. Um, You can... um, It's attached to everything. But if Mm -hmm. we're really serious about thinking about how this improves and how this relates to people's lives, I want to offer some caveats for individuals who may be interested or this idea of piques some interest. Um, when we are honest about the literature on mindfulness, we do see that there are some individuals who, when they develop mindfulness practice, have some adverse reactions to it. Mm. It's not common, but we do see that some individuals and the extent to which they may have been predisposed to already have some issues may experience a manic episode, may experience some type of, um, you know, psychotic symptoms or some depressive symptoms. It's been really hard for people to study this, but it's been anecdotally noted in the literature enough times um, that I, I think it would be irresponsible not to note that. Mm, and so yeah. I think if you're going to decide that this mindfulness is a thing for you and that you're just mm-hmm. going to lock yourself in your bedroom for three days straight and meditate, <laughs> please don't. Can I just get three minutes in my bedroom? Yeah, right. well, <laughs> maybe start with three minutes. Another Whoa. thing to consider with, with um, you know developing a mindfulness practice you know, there, there are lots of people who are endorsing and pushing mindfulness for lots of reasons. Um, yeah, a lot of these practices were really developed and intentionally meant to be a practice that you're doing with someone or at least with some guidance from someone who's done a little bit more. And we see this in terms of a lot of the clinical applications of mindfulness. I know Mark Stouffer um, has written quite a bit on this topic about um, sort of competencies to introduce mindfulness practices with clients. I think a lot of these apply to um, introducing these to either with our students or if you're thinking about yourself, things to be thinking about what you should be looking for in terms of a professor or someone or a supervisor who may introduce these, that person should probably already have their own practice. And mm. if you're a counselor, educator, or supervisor, you probably need to have your own practice too before you're instructing students in these. Yeah. Uh, at least you need to have some experience with what you're teaching. They're going to have questions. They're going to have ideas. Um, I think the other piece about this is, you know, when we look back to thinking about mindfulness, there there are a lot of impressive claims about what mindfulness can do for you. Um, you know, 
there's a, f- a friend of mine back in Florida. She was working on her dissertation on the mindfulness stuff. And it was, and I told her, it was like, you know, mindfulness is not going to like make your life perfect. It's intended just to make your life a little less painful. And so sometimes people can have this idea of like, oh, I'm going to start a mindfulness practice. And two weeks later, I will just be in this state of Zen bliss and nothing will, I'll never be upset and I'll never be angry. I'll never have a problem and I'll, you know, never have a flat tire and life will be rosy. That's not going to happen. Um, You're just going to be a little bit better at maybe managing difficult situations. And if you're a clinician, you may be a little bit better about forming those therapeutic relationships. Mm. Um, Keep it real. Keep Mm -hmm. it real. Yeah. And so just because you're not Gandhi after two weeks of trying to meditate, (laughs) you're probably not going to be. um, But that may not be the point. Right. Um, So if you're interested in these ideas and you really want to try these out, I'd encourage you to get with somebody. Mm-hmm. Who who can give you some guidance around mm-hmm. it? Um, if there are you know, there are many ways that mindfulness information can be presented. Um, there are religious based approaches to mindfulness, spiritual but non theistic approaches. There are secular approaches. Um, you know, find what works for you. Um, and you know, for some people, if it means you know trying to sit and meditate for thirty seconds because that's all you can really stand right now, yeah. that's a great place to start. Mm-hmm. I like it. That's keeping Good it real, keeping yes. it practical with lots of really smart research tucked in there. There's a, a person who's um, committed, invested in his work, in this discipline, this profession of counseling. And um, Bob, I'm telling you, we start off. That's exciting. I mean, that's it, some, is. it is. You know, there's scholarship in there, too. I, you know, Absolutely. we there. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of us come into counseling and just want to help people, right? Which is yeah. that basic kind of de- loose definition of just you help people get better. And certainly that's at the heart for a lot of folks. But sure. um, you do, you've got you to gotta have training and you've got to, in all of these practices and, and beyond, you've got to have training and time and feedback. And um, and that's, you know, that's what we're trying to do here is help students grow in that. And, and as well, we're getting lots of li- different listeners. And so hopefully encouraging some folks, if not even a student, they're in their mm-hmm. own place in the world, hopefully encouraging them as well. So a little something for everybody, I hope. Yes. Bob, I'm telling you, it was good. That was was full. And um, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, you're thinking what I'm thinking? I am too. Let's do it. All right. We did it again. again.